Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Athletic Obscura podcast, podcast that's a home of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. My name is Seth Mormon, and across the table from me, as always, well, except for the last bonus episode, is Richard Manning. Hi, Seth. How are you doing? Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you for recording without me. No, uh, in all seriousness, it was important because our listeners might have thought that we died or something. I know. It had been a long time. It's been far too long. In fact, um, a lot of things happened in the last couple of uh, months or so, COVID COVID hit both of our families uh, with some breakthrough cases uh, right at the holidays, too. Yeah, it was a very COVID Christmas in our house. Yeah, it was a bummer. You were supposed to come over to my house on the 23rd, and then it didn't happen. That was happen. the morning that I got thrown in COVID jail. I know, and then like two weeks later, or a week and a half later, I got thrown in COVID jail. And then, yeah. And then you, you headed off to New York doing some stuff, and that was yep. a great a mi- thing. A mix of uh, business and pleasure for us, so uh, yep. yeah, it was great. And then like the day you came back, I left to go, went to go to Houston. You went to Houston, for, yeah. For, for business, and I just got back this week. Yeah. So, Did you have a good time? I haven't even talked to you. Did you have a good time in Houston? Yeah, Houston was great. I, I landed. It was like 77 degrees, kind of balmy, good old uh, Houston in the winter. Uh-huh. Woke up the next morning, and it was like 43. And then woke up the next morning, and it was like 35. Oh, and I'm wow. like, this Californian ain't ready for this. This is not good. Yeah. So uh, it, it warmed up a, a little bit before we left, but I wasn't quite uh, ready for it. But, it. but it was good. Texas barbecue is amazing. Uh-huh. Um, um, I'm still partial to California Mexican food instead of Tex-Mex. But oh, yeah, that, that does goes without saying, but yeah. I ordered, I ordered. I went to Papa's Barbecue. I ordered a two-rib plate um, thinking I'm going to get, like, two baby back ribs. Oh, 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 no. They were, like, they were, like, full, like, huge ribs. And I was like, I can't eat all this food. Everything is bigger in Texas, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and uh, speaking of food, I had... Uh, great experience with New York and uh, had the most interesting thing. I had a half pizza, half calzone hybrid at, an, uh, at a uh, restaurant. Little How little the heck week. do you do that? The first half was folded over like a calzone and the second half was the proper traditional pizza. It oh, that's was, great. It was phenomenal. It was so good. It's like yeah, we found our like go-to Italian place when we go there now. So awesome. It's, yeah. Awesome. Well, I saw some of the pictures from your trip. Looks like you and the family had a great time. So. Yeah, I mean, come on. It snowed when we went to Central Park. That's perfect. Enough said. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we might have been away for a while, but we have been hard at work uh, working on some uh, research on some upcoming episodes. In fact, before we hit the record button today, uh, Rich and I were talking about uh, probably like three different episodes that we kind of got in the hopper. Um, And if all goes well, sometime in February, we should have uh, a special guest. I'm working on booking that right now. I don't want to tell you any more about that. That's really phenomenal. I mean, just... That means that we have one people, one person listening to us. Exactly, we'll have so at least great. at least one person, right? Um, well, Rich, in just a few weeks, the world is going to gather in Beijing, China, for the twenty fourth Olympic Winter Games. I think that's the official designation for it. Uh, and because of COVID, we got Olympics in back to back years. Yeah, and because of COVID, we don't have the best. Uh, best on best uh, hockey tournament ever. I know. I'm so I know. sad. That, I just, I really think the U.S. would have had a real legit shot at gold. Well, and and this is one of the first times that the same uh, host city has hosted both a summer and a winter games. 
Yeah. So so that's kind of that's that, kind of fun. And that's kind of fun, but that also ho- opens up a whole another thing of political intrigue that we could probably oh my gosh later on in a future episode of uh, Athletic Obscura. I I am I'm certain about that, and in fact, I think the Olympics are going to be a very deep pool of things for us to be talking about. Uh, no pun intended. There, we're going to be getting into the deep pool uh, of the Olympics here in just a little bit. But before we get there, um, we we do like talk about the Olympics. In fact, we had a whole episode on the 1904 Olympics in st louis if you missed that episode it's a good one rich right oh yeah it's uh pretty deep and it's a uh kind of it's fascinating and kind of shocking it, it is so, so yeah do yourself a favor give that one a listen if you haven't listened to that one today we're going to talk about another fascinating story and it comes out of the 1956 summer olympics that took place in november and december weird right summer olympics november oh, yeah. december why rich would it be in november december well, because the 56 uh, Summer Olympics were uh, held in Melbourne, Australia, Southern Hemisphere, I do believe it was the first uh, Olympics that was held in the summer in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, and therefore, you know, because of the way the hemispheres work, sure. it was actually summer in November, December, so it made logical sense for the games to be held at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So so it's going to be the warm months down uh, in Australia, and um, the title of this episode is called Blood in the Water. Uh, and over the next hour or so, we hope to tell the story of what has been called the bloodiest game in Olympic history. It's the story of the 1956 semifinal water polo match between Hungary and the Soviet Union. Now, there is so much we could talk about with this, Richard. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, uh, if you're listening right now, we're going to be kind of flip-flopping between the, the, the history side of things and the sports side of things. Uh, this is more of a sports podcast, not a history podcast. So you're going to have to cut us a little bit of slack on the history side of things not that we haven't done our research but really to understand the monumental nature of of this particular event uh, we need to kind of dive into the history rich you and i are both of the age remember living during the cold war absolutely yeah what are some of the things that that you remember living in the cold war you know i just remember you know the one defining moment there's a couple defining moments uh from the sports perspective there's obviously the miracle on ice absolutely which was really a some uh, symbolic of you know uh good versus evil sure uh on a global scale yeah. scale uh two superpowers going at each other um the the documentary or not the documentary the tv movie the day after oh yeah three how that scared yeah. the bejesus out of me everybody. too yeah and potential and according to legend uh, President Reagan saw that and immediately said, "Hey, we got to do something about this." Yeah, yeah. And so you had, and then speaking of Reagan, you have the you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Yep. yep. And hating the Soviets. Oh, completely. I oh, mean, yeah. it was something that I constantly thought of, and there were times that, um, you know, I mean, th- th- that was something that you know I didn't appreciate, you know, the athletes. And the accomplishments of reading about people, and really not just Soviets, but the communist bloc. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, all these legends like Olga Korbut, Nadia Komanichi, mm-hmm. uh, Vladislav Treciak, mm-hmm. they were remarkable players, but to me, they were like, yeah, they're commies. Exactly. And, you know, they were almost like subhuman. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily dwell on the Cold War that the world might blow up at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times where it would just be thrust at me, and I'm like, and it just made me realize, hey, a button can be pushed. I mean, I remember being in the sixth grade. I went to a parochial school, so we did singing in front of churches mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while. So, and there was this you know, this cheesy song about bringing peace to earth. I mean, okay. I remember that. But I remember the the music teacher there decided to just drop in the middle of this, like, we are this close to a nuclear war and everything being over. And that was kind of not fun to hear as a 12-year-old. Right. Yeah. Right. What about you? Um, I remember the day after as well. I remember the day after watching the day after and just talking with, because I think it was on, on a Saturday night, and so we were talking on a Sunday, Yeah. like in Sunday school about it. And we didn't we didn't do our, our lesson that day. We just talked about it because we were all, we were all scared. Yeah. You know, because it, it was so real and we had kind of been conditioned to think that this is something really that's that's about to happen um i remember uh, arrow in the mo- in the movie i remember like uh the quick scene of arrowhead stadium kind of like being disintegrated right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, it was it was so it was so real and we we believed that that was we were like 
moments away from that those things happening. I also remember learning about, you know, the mutually assured destruction, you know, that between the Soviet Union and the United States, there were so many nuclear uh, weapons that if there, there's going to be a war, everything's going to be going away. Yeah. I, I was scared about that. I remember my dad telling me one time, well, you know, because we lived here in Southern California, we lived close enough to um, uh, the Seal Beach uh, Naval Weapons Depot, which uh-huh. is right off the, the freeway here. You probably passed it on your way driving up here today. Yep. Um, my dad's saying, well, I'm sure that, that uh, that's going to be a, a, a spot where a nuclear bomb is going to hit. And he wasn't trying to scare me or anything. And he says, you know, there'll be kind of a flash of, of, of light. You'll probably feel a little bit of warmth and then you'll be in heaven. And that actually made me feel okay. And that's kind of weird that in the Cold War that I would be okay with some of those things. It, it's crazy. Now, we we both were, were, were old enough to remember kind of uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, 89. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Gorbachev and, and you have Glasnost and Perestroika and the openness that comes uh, in, in Russia. Right. Um, but, but we're going back to the 1950s. and 1950s, things are completely different. Oh, absolutely. And I also think that it's important to understand the Soviet Union in a specific context, okay. which the context goes back to World War II. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's pretty well known that the Soviets were on the side of the Allies during the time of U.S. and involvement in the yep. war what's not that well known however is that they were supplying raw materials to germany for hitler's war effort right up until the point hitler decided to try and conquer them yeah yeah and they flipped the switch to the allies on a dime with good reason of course but i really think that that's important to uh look at that flip because it really helps plant the roots of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, not only is this kind of the roots of what you were talking about, the miracle on ice type of thing, but mm-hmm. but in some ways the, this blood in the water, water polo match is, is very similar to that. But I think in some ways the emotion of this water polo match is a lot more raw. Oh, absolutely, yeah. because I think instead of uh, uh, two superpowers going against each other, you have... Uh, a superpower versus a country that's being absorbed by the superpower, at least from a political ideology standpoint. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. That, that really touches on a different kind of nerve. Yeah, f- for sure. Yeah. So let's go back uh, March 1944. We still have war raging across Europe. Uh, the Nazis end up invading Hungary uh, um, in the spring. Uh, with that, uh, 600,000 Hungarian Jews deported into death camps. Um, just, just a terrible part. Uh, of of the Holocaust there. Anyone resisting is is arrested or executed by the Nazis. Uh, A little less than a year later, after Hungary being invaded by the Nazis, the Red Army rolls in. And at first, the people are like, fantastic, we're being liberated, this is going to be a great thing. But they didn't really understand that they were kind of being delivered from one oppressor to another. Um, A couple years later, 1947, Hungary uh, becomes a Soviet state. This is, again, now after um, uh, Nazi Germany has been defeated. They set up basically a puppet government. That's what we would call it. It would be a a satellite state or however they would might, might call it. And it was called the People's Democracy of Hungary, which is an interesting title because it's not about the people and it's not about democracy. Right, yeah. You know? It just sounds nice. Right. So between 1951 and 1953, uh, over 650,000 people are arrested by the police. More than 200,000 people are deported and two uh, around 2,000 people are executed by the government. So things in Hungary are not good. No, they were not. And again, this is in 1947, just a couple years after the Soviets were part of the Allies, where they were considered, you know, the good guys, stopping the Nazis. So Exactly. Yeah. Now, flipping it over to kind of the sports side of things, for a landlocked country, Hungary loves water sports. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it seems that there were there were lots of uh, of of um, I want to say community pools. When I think of a community pool, I think the like, guy when I lived in Arizona in Clarkdale, we go to the community pool. But th- this is more like um, you know very large pools, indoor pools, yeah. um, all throughout uh, Budapest. Oh yeah, kind of like if you know going back to American history, the Sutro Baths in San Francisco. Sure, sure. Were this gi- just ginormous bathhouse that was there and that had all these indoor swimming activities and diving activities. And yeah, you're right; they're all over. Uh, Budapest and Hungary. And and the love of, of the water for the Hungarians is, is really is really palpable. Now, of course, in that particular time in a communist country, 
Um, there's no movies to go to. There's no travel. There's no fast cars. There's no kind of deciding what you want to do. One of the things that you could do is some of the exercises is get into the pool. Yeah. And you have that opportunity year-round uh, with some of the indoor facilities. Um, and, in fact, prior to 1956, the Hungarian men's water polo team wins silver at the 1928 Summer Olympics in Antwerp. They win gold in 32 in Los Angeles. They go back-to-back because they win gold again in 36 in Berlin. Uh, Here's something crazy, Richard. They had a gold differential of plus 40. That's in that uh, Olympics. Yeah, I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah, plus um, plus forty. That, that they were dominant. Yeah. In fact, between 1928 and 1939, they they didn't lose an international match. Yeah, that's that's incredible. They go on to win silver um, in in water polo in 48 in London and gold again in 52 in Helsinki. Uh, and basically, the water polo athletes in Hungary are rock stars. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you know they're going through all these terrible things. I mean, I mean, Hitler is starting to really ramp up in 36 and uh, by that time. And then just crossing over into 48 and 52, they're going through some really terrible things at the hands of the Soviets. Yep. So yep. that's very impressive, um, cons- all things considered. Yeah, I mean, water polo is kind of in the Hungarians' blood. Um, they will continue to dominate in the pool for, uh, well, uh, up up until today. We'll get to that more at, at yeah. the end. Um, Rich, one of your daughters ended up playing water polo in high school. Uh, it's a pretty brutal sport. Talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so she still does. Uh, she's a senior, and uh, she's been playing water polo for four years, and the brutality in that sport is just unmatched really just because you have a lot of dirty uh stuff happening under the water that you can't see above the surface and really sometimes you have um that dirtiness is on display so i gotta throw my daughter uh, under the bus a little bit uh last week she actually got ejected for like uh essentially punching a player <laughs> because no she this opponent was just uh um hanging on her and like trying to dunk her and just trying to like do all this and all of a sudden she just turned around and went pop you know nice. just did the whole uh you know the classic i'm trying to wave for the ball here but i'm waving for the ball by smacking the person behind me in the face and we're going to get into something that she, happens in the in the in this uh match in just a little bit yeah yep. so she actually got a penalty for that um but yeah it's just watching that game and and on you know the, I think the best example about how dirty these players can get under the water is that it's routine for them to have toenail checks. That's crazy. So what water player water polo players might be able to do without these checks is they will grow their toenails long so they can scratch the other player with their feet. Ugh. And that's just dirty. So yeah, in high in my daughter's league, they actually do the check to make sure that they aren't grown beyond a, single, a certain length. Wow. If they are, they can't play that game. Wow. Wow. So yeah. So we're talking seven on seven, and that includes the goalies, right? Mm-hmm. So you got you got six on six. Um, I, I'm sure you have you're probably living under a rock if you don't understand the basics of water polo. There's a ball. You're going to try to score a goal. Yeah. Right. So uh, I, it, water polo players would cringe when I say it's kind of like soccer in the pool which it's not or it's like hockey in the pool but it's not mm-hmm. uh it, but it has the same kind of a of a basic concept four quarters yeah all right with a halftime um what i didn't know um until much later uh it, probably like in, into high school is that players playing water polo can't touch the bottom yeah like i just thought you know well how hard is this you're just standing in the pool it's i'm like no 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 you're you're treading water the entire time the first thing that you learn how to do is egg beat yeah and if you know how to egg beat then you have an advantage over everybody else because you could stay up longer particularly if you're a goalie that's huge well yeah cuz you want to get out of the water to cover as much space right. for the goal and and to to see some of these uh, some of these players whether it's at the high school level or or beyond um, how far they can get their bodies out of the water yeah is pretty dang impressive and that's the trick of a good uh a scorer cuz uh you know my daughter's a forward uh, and uh she you know not to brag or anything but she led the team in goals yeah. uh for a couple of years and uh the the trick is being able to anticipate when that goalie is not going to be able to 
maintain their position and yep. they'll drop down just a little bit then you shoot top shelf right right yeah right um th- there's penalty shots there's power plays like you said your daughter ended up you know you know getting ejected and so you, you play you know uh one team has more uh, players in the water than another um what i found fascinating especially at this time uh, in, as we're talking about this match uh, there's no subs uh, that's in water polo that's yeah. crazy I mean, now there are subs. There are subs, yeah. But, you know, I mean, just that's remarkable giving the constant motion that you have to be in the water and, you know, there's no rest and you can get weary. I mean, just, yeah. Now, getting back um, to to our story here, athletes, of course, at this time were used for political purposes, mm-hmm. exploited for propaganda. Uh, and in many ways, during the Cold War, sport is seen as something to validate your political system, your political ideology. Like if, if, if you could win in sport, that would prove that your um, uh, uh, country, your politics, your, your ideology is superior. Yes. Which makes no sense. No. But that's what they, what they did. But you kind of get a little bit of that today, though, in the Olympics, too, when, you know, even in the U.S., because it's like, you know, when you, this is just the way it's promoted, though. It's like, look at our athletes. Look how great we are. We can churn out these great athletes and look at these programs. And it's interesting because the U.S., when they market the Olympics, they always concentrate on the, the sports, the competitions that they're good at. Yeah. Right. That's right. why everybody every four years is surprised how cool team handball is because the U.S. sucks at it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's only been recently that we've been able to to make some inroads like in the Winter Olympics in, in like cross country skiing and biathlon and, and curling and curling. Yeah. Um, just because anyways, uh, let's get back to the story. Spring yeah, of 1953, uh, something pretty uh, monumental happens. You have Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin dies and you have Nikita Khrushchev comes to power. If you know anything about your history, we're going to, again, gloss over things pretty quickly. But Khrushchev is is much more of a moderate. He institutes some reforms and in many ways the, the Soviet uh, um, bloc country countries kind of have a glimmer uh, of hope here right and if you know anything about khrushchev you probably know two incidents uh the infamous shoe banging incident yeah. that he did the un which there's a photo floating around on the internet where he's holding the shoe that's actually photoshopped <laughs> uh there was debate on whether or not he actually did uh, bang the shoe but there was a journalist that uh actually went and uh interviewed eyewitnesses like 20 25 years ago and they actually did confirm that yeah Kucherov did take a shoe off and bang the shoe. There's yeah. just no photographic evidence that isn't doctored. And the other thing that you'll know is that he was uh, denied entry into Disneyland in 1959. Yeah, right. So, right. Yeah. Now, perhaps before we get much further into the story, it might be a good place to do a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we... Oh, that's what we want to do. I always forget about this part. Yeah, uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the months leading up to the 1956 Summer Olympics that's going to set the stage for the bloodiest game in Olympic history. So we will be right back. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Rich and I may be new at podcasting, but our podcast partner is not. We use Anchor.fm to host and distribute the Athletic Obscura podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way we have found to make and distribute a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's totally free, which is a huge selling point for us. Second, there are a ton of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. 
No additional software needed and no complex programs to learn. Once you've recorded your podcast, Anchor will distribute it for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. One of the coolest things is that you can actually make money from your podcast right away. No need to wait to grow your audience as there are no minimum listener requirements to be met, which helps you when you're just starting out. Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And we're back. Welcome back to Athletic Obscura Podcast. We are talking about the 1956 Olympic semifinal water polo match between Hungary and the Soviet Union. Um, Rich, let's get back to the Hungarian team, okay? Let's do it. Uh, they were coached by a man named Bela Reiki. Uh, and in 1952, uh, he had a, a, a bunch of, of, of pretty savvy veterans, but he um, recruits a 17-year-old named Irvin Zador, uh, and uh, he's, he's an outsider. Zador didn't really um, move up the ranks in the normal fashion. He didn't play for a big club team. He was inexperienced. He had never played on the international stage before. Um, but Zador is immensely talented. And he's going to be uh, kind of our, our key figure as we kind of walk through uh, this. Um, uh, Reiki could see his talent and wanted him on the team. The rest of the players were like, who's this new guy? They ended up kind of hazing him a little bit. He had to mm-hmm. do all the, the, the cruddy jobs that... That, uh, those people had to do. Um, now, one thing that's pretty interesting, uh, well, there's many things interesting about the Hungarian uh, water polo team, but one of the things that they were doing that no other team or really maybe any other country or maybe either other sports were even thinking about, they were cross-training. Okay. So they weren't just practicing uh, in the pool. They weren't just doing only water polo things. They lifted weights. They played soccer. They played basketball. Okay. And one of the things that was fascinating to me is they would ski in the winter. And, of course, we almost kind of see skiing as kind of like a, a leisurely a recreational, sport. Recreational, yeah, sure. But here, they would take all their ski gear, climb to the top of the mountain, then ski down, take it all off, climb to the top of the mountain again, and then ski down. So no ski lifts. No ski lifts. No chair lifts. That's... No rope toes. That no, that's right? that's ridiculous. That's like kind of like Iron Man triathlete stuff, right? So the, these these guys are are immensely uh, conditioned. They yeah. they are so conditioned. They they would swim constantly. So not only were they cross training, they weren't just not in the pool because it was cold. You know, they could they could swim year round because of the indoor pools, right? Uh, but Reiki insisted that when they were in the water, they did everything while moving. All right. So it's kind of common nowadays that mm-hmm. all the water polo players are kind of moving. And that's kind of I mean, you you watched it yeah. quite a bit um, before this. It was uh, there's a little bit more of a, of a of a stagnant game that they would get to a spot and they would kind of move and then they, they would cut. You'd, you'd throw it into to the post and you would cut off of that. But they were doing things. They were always on the move. They mm-hmm. were they would uh, shoot while they were moving. They would pass while they were moving. They were always, always moving. Um, they said that that basically they felt that they could walk on water. All right. they, they spent so much time in the water. 1954, Zadar broke uh, to, into the starting lineup. So it took him a couple of years to finally break into the starting lineup. lineup. And right about this time, uh, Moscow decides to send uh, the, the Soviet Union team to Budapest to train with the Hungarians. Now, you need to understand that the Soviet water polo team, they're bad. All right. They are not in the top uh, five in Europe. Uh, they come to observe, to film, and, and to copy basically everything that hun- that the Hungarians do. Everything um, that that they do, they were going to tr- try copying. Okay. The Hungarians don't really like this very much. Yeah. Now let's get back to the history for for just a little bit here. During this same time, Hungary gets a new le- leader, uh, much more moderate. Uh, some more freedoms come to the people, kind of the same vein uh, as uh, Khrushchev's uh, reforms, kind of in Moscow. There's now an underground free press that kind of begins a little bit more. It was still illegal, but the kind of the government where it wasn't cracking down so much on it. Writers, mm-hmm. artists, poets, kind of doing more public work, speaking out uh, against the government. In 1955, Soviet uh, Union withdraws from Austria because they were the ones who were occupying Austria after World War yes. II. Uh, and Hungary was really hoping that that they were going to be next. 
that the Soviet Union would withdraw from them. They would be able to have kind of a moniker of freedom. Uh, and But things kind of change on a dime, as we know things seem to do yes. with, with Moscow. With, yeah. So some new hardliners are put into power. Moscow forced uh, uh, all the satellite states to sign the Warsaw Pact. Right. You and I heard a lot about the Warsaw Pact when we were growing up. That's oh, absolutely. basically a, um, a collective defense treaty. It's basically the opposite of NATO. It was essentially the Legion of Doom to the Hall of Justice. Exactly. In, uh, Great example. DC uh, Comics uh, parlance. Exactly. So the summer of 1956, uh, basically the unexpected happened in the water polo world. Uh, there's a match in Moscow between Hungary and the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union wins. Now, the Hungarians are incensed at the uh, officials. They were all uh, Russian officials, and mm-hmm. they said that they were calling a completely one-sided game. Uh, in fact, the Hungarians were getting so ticked that they would be throwing the, the ball at the the officials on the side of the pool. It got so, so bad that at the end of the game in the locker room, there's an all-out brawl. Okay. So... This spills over out of the pool. And so not only is there kind of tension between the two countries politically, the tension between these two teams really starts to, 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 to bubble up and, right. and to, to, to boil over. This is the first loss in many years for the Hungarians on the international stage. Um, in some ways, both in sports and in politics, kind of the genie's out of the bottle here yeah. because there's some there's some freedoms. People are understanding, uh, you know, the oppression that they've been living under for such a long time is not a good thing. Um, there's some moderate uh, leadership that they had before the, this this crack this crackdown, and now you have this humiliating defeat to the team that basically came and stole uh, all of your tax tactics. And there's now a, a rivalry, and it's starting to get bitter and and brutal yeah and it's important to really talk about uh what the soviets did here just because you know you see this kind of behavior kind of erupt in other international um competitions involving the soviet team uh like the summit series in 72 between the soviets and the canadians sure as that was going on it became more brutal and just violent and vicious and uh i think there's a one scene where um one of the Canadians like uh, like took a stick and kind of sw- like kind of like fake swung at one of the referees because out of frustration. Uh, but you got to understand with you know with the Soviets building their dominant hockey program, you know they really didn't like copy anything. They actually built their whole uh, their whole system around these revolutionary revolutionary offensive tactics that ended up moving the game forward. Here in the water polo, they're just not doing any of that. They're just doing outright thievery. Right, yeah. They, they, they come and they just copy everything that yeah. the Hungarians so do. So nothing original, nothing innovative. They're just really copycatting that. And considering all the things that are going outside of the water, uh, outside of the pool at this point, yeah, the Hungarians are absolutely ticked because this is just an extension of what's going on in real, in real life. Right. Now, I said this before the break, but I'm going to say it again. We are not a historical podcast. Um, Both Richard and I love history. I have a minor in history. Richard is is a student of history. History is is in our blood, but but please don't judge us by our historiography here. Uh, We did our research. I believe that the, the, the historical part of what we're going to say is, is the truth. I don't think this is propaganda necessarily. Because right. really what is going to unfold is what has come to be known as the Hungarian Revolution in 1956. Yeah. Um, so uh, all you history buffs, I ask for some grace. If we got something wrong, you can point us out. Please do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And really, I want to encourage people, if you if this inspires you to like deep, deep dive, uh, dive deeper into the um, – Hungarian Revolution and this part of the Cold War, please do because it is there's enough going on here to do its own podcast and it's just incredible. Without a doubt. And so we are going to be glossing over a few things as we go through. But I want to hit some of the key things. October 22nd, 1956. This is now just weeks before the Olympic uh, Games in Melbourne. Uh, students from Budapest University of Technology and Economics uh, begin a peaceful protest against the government crackdowns. They demand free, democratic elections, return to moderate leadership, the withdrawal of the occupying uh, Red Army. Uh, the next day, thousands and thousands of people show up in Budapest 
has to demand change. They march uh, eventually to Parliament. Uh, they take the, the 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 Hungarian flag, which now has a big Soviet star in the middle of it, and they cut it out. And that flag with a hole in it kind of becomes a symbol of this freedom movement. It's going to eventually be a symbol of the of the uh, revolution. They get to the parliament building and they're asking for uh, reforms. It is a peaceful protest, uh, but the police end up opening fire on the protesters. The mm-hmm. government ends up calling Moscow for support and within hours tanks are rolling into the city. The next day, October 24th, there's now open hostilities, open violence in the city. Um, But Moscow decides that they don't want to make this a huge international incident. So they give in to some of the demands. They end up reinstating the the moderate leader, established a new cabinet, uh, attempts to consolidate power. Um, And there's at this time, after a couple of days of unrest, there's kind of doubt are they going to actually be even able to send athletes to the Olympics or not? The water polo team's been sequestered in the hills above the city. They don't really know exactly what's going on. They've been training up there. Uh, they, they've heard a few reports. They've seen um, uh, some of the fires burning. They don't, but they don't know what's going on. Next day, uh, the people gather again, um, and the Soviet tanks now open fire on the people. Even though they think uh, that that um, that they've given in a few things, they said, "Okay, you're giving in to a few things. You're making some concessions." So they gather again, and the the tanks open fire, killing a hundred right there, injuring three hundred. Now fighting spreads across the country, and hundreds more die. On October 27th, the free press kinds of, uh, kind of erupts across the country, starts to tell the news, and the the next day, the government asks for even more concessions from Moscow. Uh, Khrushchev agrees, and uh, Khrushchev orders the troops to withdraw. So in, in five days, you kind of go back and forth and back and forth uh, a couple of times. Um, so the government then, a couple of days later, on the 30th, they do kind of make the decision, we are going to send our, our athletes to the Olympics. All right. right. This new government that kind of is beginning to coalesce uh, begins to ask the West for some assistance in what's happening. Uh, But the West uh, is basically preoccupied by something else. Uh, Just a day earlier, the Western allies end up attacking Egypt to gain control of the Suez Canal. Now, you need to understand, in some ways, the Cold War is more about ideology and public opinion. Um, and the Soviets really can't take this PR loss, uh, seeing the, the, the West um, having some, some aggression and being successful and then being unsuccessful. So they can't really take that. So in some ways, this is, there's, like, there's some PR here. So while the world is kind of on the brink of open warfare, a lot of the fighting that happens is in the press and in public opinion. But you do have a couple of, of definite military outbreaks. This was happening in Hungary yeah. and what's happening here in Suez. Right. And by the way, you know, for context, the song... Billy, the Billy Joel song, you know, we didn't start the fire. Right. Trouble in the Suez. This is what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. November 1st, now the Hungarian government now withdraws from the Warsaw Pact. It's the, the first time a Soviet state attempts, attempts to, to gain independence. And then they also petition the UN for membership as well. So things are moving very fastly. Yeah. Let's get back to Irvin Zador. Uh, he's that young water polo player that was recruited by Coach Reiki. Uh, and he knows something bad is happening in Budapest. He really, really cares uh, for his parents. Uh, so he leaves training camp. He walks 15 miles back to the city to see if his parents are still alive. Uh, basically, his while he walks in and his mom says, what are you doing here? You Get out of here. You need to go get ready for the Olympics. She ends up sending him back. She's got to walk back 15 more miles. And kind of what's sad is that Zadar is never going to visit or see his parents again. That's just, that's just devastating. Yep. The next, the next day, uh, the water polo team, along with some of the other Olympians, leave for Czechoslovakia. Uh, remember, this is uh, when you had those two countries, Slovakia and now Czechia, uh, were, were kind of molded into one after World War II. Right. So it's this Czechoslovakia, and they go um, uh, in preparation to, to head to Melbourne to prepare for the Olympics. Three days later, uh, you have one of the, the government leaders. Uh, I did want to put his name in here. Is Janos Josef Kadar. Um, he is one that came in with the, the consolidated government, right. uh, was with this moderate government, and he basically conspires with Moscow 
double crosses the entire uh, country and sells everybody out, uh, basically to the Soviets. Eventually, I just want to tell you just a little bit about uh, him. Uh, he was basically the second in the in command. Um, he will eventually be the leader of Hungary until like 1990. So he he is the Ugh. the puppet state of of the Soviets, uh, the puppet leader for that. I don't want to give him a lot of pub because he's a bad dude. Well, he's a bad guy, but he's yeah. also in line of some of these other uh, people in the Soviet bloc that would run, that would rise to power, like uh, Nicholas Ceausescu in Romania. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they were quote unquote democratically elected. Right. All right. Um, so now uh, we have uh, November the fourth. The Soviet Union invades Hungary again. So. Khrushchev had them leave. They come back just a couple of days later. They come in with 100,000 troops and 2,000 tanks, and they basically crush the revolution. Now, let me put this into perspective for you, Richard. Um, The Nazis deployed 2,000 tanks on the Western Front that basically marched across the continent, and and Moscow sends the same number into the small country of Hungary. That's, you know, and, yeah, you got to realize just, Hungary is a small country. This is like like the size of what? Like your average uh, Midwestern state. Right, right. So right. all that manpower going into that area, yep. they're essentially uh, invading Wisconsin. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, for three days, the Hungarians are pleading for, for help from the West. Um, and even though there was lots of uh, talk about helping this, especially um, a, a country that's that's trying to get away from from Soviet the Soviet Union, it, it just never arrives. And in the the meantime, three thousand Hungarians die, tens of thousands are less are arrested, uh, two hundred thousand end up leaving the country, and many end up uh, taking refuge in Yugoslavia. Again, another country that was kind of mushed together and now yeah. has come apart mm-hmm. uh, since then. Um, and, and with all this going on, athletes from around the world are going to be gathering in Melbourne. Um, November 20th, um, after being detained in Czechoslovakia for over two weeks, the Hungarian water polo team finally arrived in Melbourne. Uh, and they finally get to see some uh, reports from Western news about the situation that's going on back home. They really didn't understand the severity or t- exactly what was happening. Now, because of the events of, in Hungary, three countries decide to uh, boycott these Olympics. That's the Netherlands, uh, Spain, and Switzerland. Uh, China also boycotts the Olympics, but it's for a different reason. It's because the IOC allowed Taiwan to compete as their own nation. That is still a topic of of, uh, of controversy. Oh, absolutely. This is why you know, Taiwan and international competition knows Chinese Taipei. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's a whole other podcast. That's we don't a whole other into. thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Hungarians, um, they're, they're, they're filled with a lot of anxiety. There's not a lot of hope and joy as they uh, go through the opening ceremonies. Lots of unknowns for them, especially what's going to happen after the games. Yeah. Are, are they going to be able to go home? Are they not going to be able to go home? And Is it going to be safe? Will they even have like a country at this point just because, you know, just the way that the Soviets are uh, rolling in. And this is like the, you know, this is still the earlier stages of the Soviet bloc. Yep. So, you know, you could speculate to see whether or not the Soviets would just kind of just absorb uh, countries and make them as part of their own nation. Because they, they did that. There was there was a number of them because it was well, the, yeah, union, the, Baltics. Yeah, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Right. You know, you, you have Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania. You and have Ukraine, Georgia and Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. You have all those. You have Azerbaijan, uh, Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this could very well be another one of those yeah. that, that might happen. Um, the Hungarian team ends up staging a, a simple protest in the Olympic Village. Um, I think this is kind of cool, Rich. They, they replaced the communist flag of Hungary with the flag of freedom hungry that's great yeah pretty great now one thing that's interesting is the water polo team hasn't been in the pool for about a month all right so they haven't been able to really train much they had no idea how they were going to fare in the competition Uh, and they do something which i think is brilliant Um, one of the things that has developed post the time that the soviets came and copied everything is they decide uh, to create a brand new defense which now is very common in water polo. Mm-hmm. They they basically create a zone defense. They double mark the opposing centers, uh, and 
they didn't share that with the Soviets, and this is the first time the strategy is used in international competition. That's brilliant. Yeah. So they they bust this out. They know they're going to do this, uh, and it works out tremendously for them. On November 28th, the water polo tournament begins. Uh, two brackets, Richard, uh, four teams apiece are playing round robin. Okay. okay. So, yeah, just kind of like in the Olympics where you see, like, the basketball uh, tournament or the hockey tournament, they do the same thing. Exactly. So so you play everybody. Uh, the top two teams are going to, um, uh, from each bracket, are going to advance. Uh, qualifier one plays in one bracket, plays qualifier two in the other, and vice yep. versa. So uh, as they go into to round robin play, Hungary wins their first match six to two versus the USA. They go on to defeat Germany four nothing and Italy four nothing, and they win their bracket. Um, so they're going to move on to the semifinals, and they're going to play in the second qual- the second qualifier from the other bracket, which of course is the Soviet Union. Of course, it is. So we now have this this match um, that's coming on the heels of some pretty terrible things happening in Hungary between these yeah. two countries. It also comes on the heels uh, of a very contested international match between these two that just happened. Mm-hmm. And the Hungarians are filled with emotion, passion, rage, uh, you name it. Yeah, uh, Many, many, not only Hungarians, but many in the free world sees this as kind of a, a battle against, uh, you know, the free world versus communism. You know, mm-hmm. this is weeks after a revolution and a counter-revolution. We got these two countries are going to meet in the pool. And like yeah. we had said before, sometimes athletic events are kind of what is going to uh, really coalesce and try to say our our ideology is best. And this is kind of a recurring theme with Soviet sports, but I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, but I think this is the first incident of this really being symbolic of this battle of the free world involving the Soviets. I, I think you're right about yeah. that, Rich. I don't really know any uh, any others. I mean, obviously, we had talked about, uh, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, you know, the 1980s Miracle on Ice. Yeah, before that, that, the Summit Series in uh, 72. Exactly. So, But there there we're talking, you know, this is like a Western power versus a, an Eastern, Eastern power. power. The, yeah, this is a little bit different. We talked about that yeah. a little bit before. So the, 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 uh, the match is going to be taking place at... Uh, at a location called the Crystal Palace, which kind of cracks me up. I mean, there's a Crystal Palace from the from the you know eighteen hundreds in in London, but uh, this is called a Crystal Palace, and it was the hottest ticket in town. All right, you have the symbolic freedom fighters from Hungary against their Soviet aggressors. All right, mm-hmm. now the press is really kind of kind of pumping this up. Everyone who's there in attendance and who's talked about it said that the atmosphere was absolutely electric, but filled with tension at the same time. What exactly is going to happen? Uh, there's a very partisan crowd from Hungary, Australia, and the United States. Uh, they're on hand to root on the Hungarians. Um, the, the, the athletes said the roar in the stands was hard to describe, like nothing they had ever experienced before. So the match begins uh, at uh, 3.25 p.m. on December the 6th, and it opens with raw emotion. Uh, a, a very, very rough start for a rough sport, Rich, we might say that it was chippy. Yeah, from from the beginning, all right. Um, in this day, to, to start the water polo match, they put the ball in the center, they blow the whistle, and everybody just starts. They they swim as fast as they can to try to get it. Try to get it, yeah, yeah. And it is, and it was, it was on. Uh, in the first quarter, there's an early penalty shot that's awarded to Hungary uh, from the Swedish official. Um, the shot ends up missing, but the official uh, said that the Soviet goalie jumped early so they awarded it again the soviet goalies end up uh, protesting and was was talking to the official the official was going to have none of it but before the goalie was actually in place again he blows his whistle and they uh, uh, shoot it into basically an open goal and so now they're up one to nothing yep. the soviets are incensed the supporters that were there are also incensed. So now we're. This is just the first quarter of the game, yeah. and it is a fever pitch in here. Early in the second quarter, uh, Irvin Zador scores on another penalty shot. So now they're the Hungarians are up two to nothing, and just before halftime, a Hungarian player ends up hitting a Soviet player in the face with a follow through on his shot, and basically turns into a line brawl. 
every single player in the pool was fighting somebody. They partner up, yeah. Partner up, and, and they're just, they're, everybody is fighting. The officials are trying to gain control, uh, and they finally do. They go into halftime, uh, and the, the, they come back, and the second half is just as intense. It becomes a real defensive struggle because mm-hmm. of the zone defense that the Hungarians are are, are trying are, are putting on, and the Soviets can't really seem to solve it. And one of the things that uh, that this created was uh, a, a very prolific counterattack. So with this zone defense, they were able to counterattack pretty quickly, and that results in two more goals. So now four nothing Hungary. Going into the fourth quarter, tension is mounting. The Soviets are getting desperate. Tons of smack talking between the athletes. Uh, Zador ends up marking one of the Soviet forwards named Valentin Prokopov. Okay. Um, big time scorer uh, mm-hmm. for, for the Soviet team. Uh, about the two-minute mark, there's a, an unexpected whistle. And that kind of distracted Zador. Uh, he basically turned around, uh, was kind of trying to ask, well, what is happening? By the time he turned back around, he's greeted by the closed fist of Prokopov, who punches him right so in the So it's a in total sucker punch. Total sucker punch. Zador said that he saw stars, and the punch ended up cutting him badly above the right eye. Uh, he had to leave the match, and he was bleeding from head to toe. One, one person said that it looked like he had uh, stepped out of, of a slaughterhouse. Now, photojournalists capture the moment when Zador got out of the pool. Um, I'll put a, a link to this in some of our promotional material for this episode. You can yeah. look it up, too. Um, this is not just a little cut. You know when you get cut in the head, it bleeds like crazy, but this is yep. this is... This is a, 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 a huge cut. And this is now the, the catalyst for the moniker of the blood in the water match. Yeah. Um, contrary to what people had said, he didn't bleed enough for the water to turn red in the no. pool. None of that kind of things uh, um, happened. But as this happens, the fans start jumping over the barriers. They're making their way to the Soviet bench. Uh, they begin to curse and spit at them. Uh, the police, who were on hand because they knew this that there's potential of right. violence happening, the police end up uh, clearing everybody out, um, and the Swedish official is blowing his whistle, trying to gain control. It's kind of a chaotic scene here. Yeah. Uh, the you know um, you have Zador being led out by the. Um, uh, by the sta- uh, by the medical staff to try to get attention and the swedish official basically calls the game he says it's over he calls it hungarian uh, hungary wins uh, four to nothing now usually uh, in an event like this the teams would shake hands and you know and go their separate ways. This did not happen. No, in not at event. all. Um, in fact, the police end up uh, creating a line so that the Soviets could get back to their locker room, trying to keep them safe. But trash and bottles and all sorts of things end up kind of raining down on them. Uh, the press end up having a field day with the story. Uh, and, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, the press make it even more inflammatory against the Soviets than it was really yeah. necessary for. So uh, the, the press really blew it out of proportion. But again... This is Cold War, and anything that they can do as kind of propaganda against the Soviets, they were going to kind of use against it. So to find the truth, you got to kind of kind of go back, back and, and forth, forth a little yeah. bit, kind of find really what this was. It wasn't as bad as the as the um, as the Western press said. This is not a good situation, though. Um, the 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 Zador um, is is unable to play the next day. Because the next day is now the gold medal match, uh, and they're they're playing Yugoslavia. He wants to play. He desperately wants to play. Wants to get into the pool, but he he just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, even though basically their best player is unable to play, Hungary uh, beats Yugoslavia two to one. Uh, they even had to play a man down for the final two minutes, mm. and they were able to hold on two to one. And now the Hungarians are back to back Olympic champions. Uh, in the bronze medal game, the Soviets end up winning the bronze, but the Hungarian team is overcome with emotion. Oh, of course. It, it is It is uh, almost as if they have, uh, they didn't just win a, a water polo match. That's oh, more than the game. They won a battle for their country. They mm-hmm. won a battle, they, they won a, a battle for freedom, uh, hoping that one day uh, that this would be the first of, of a long battle to get their freedom, which in some ways it is. And we'll kind of get to that history yeah. in, in just a little bit. Um, there's another one uh, of the Hungarian team members that we didn't really talk much about, but his name is Istvan Havisi. Uh, and uh, he wrote 
uh, in his personal diary following uh, this event. He, he writes, after four years of bitterly hard work, the fruit of our efforts is in my hand, the gold medal. The notes of the Hungarian national anthem began to play, and the red, white, and green flag is pulled up, and we all sang the anthem until the end. That's just a, a beautiful image. A beautiful image. It's a wonderful, um, a wonderful story. Uh, it, it's a win for freedom, but the win comes with some pretty big costs. Yeah, I mean, it's such a contrast, too. I mean, and that's really fa- one of the fascinating subtexts of the Olympics in general is because you can have these bright pops of just wonderful, beautiful moments amid what might the chaos that might be happening elsewhere in the world. Exactly. Including in this case, in their own country. Exactly. Um, Coach Reiki encourages all the athletes to go back home, go to Hungary. Uh, but many, many knew that they would only find hardship, persecution. Uh, basically, Zador, he's he's pretty young still at this point. I mean, uh-huh. he's in his early 20s. He's encouraged by most of the other players to go back to continue playing water polo because they say he's going to become uh, the player of the century. Uh, his response to them, this is his quote, you can be a player of the century. Sorry, you can't be a player of the century with a muzzle in your mouth. He knew that his time in Hungary was over. He knew that he could never go back to a country where he would have no freedoms. Yeah. Um, so Zador, half of his teammates, and 40 other Hungarian athletes defect to the West after the games were over, not to go back to Hungary. Yep. Um, now, getting back to Hungary itself, things are, are not going well. Uh, there's a new puppet government. And they begin to hunt down all who participated in the revolution. Another 100,000 are arrested. 13,000 serve in internment camps. 350 are executed. Of those 350, three quarters of those executed are freedom fighters who are under 30 years of age. Many who serve in internment camps are in internment camps until uh, deep into the 1980s, uh, some even Man. into the early 1990s. Think about this. This is 1956. Yeah. So they're in incarcerated in internment camps for over 30 years. Yes. Yeah. Now, finally, with the openness of Glasnost and things that happened in Moscow under Gorbachev, Hungary ends up uh, having its freedom in 1990. The Soviet Army made its final withdrawal in 1991. Um, and, uh, you know, finally, uh, uh, that one, what was that guy's name? I got to go back. Um, the, uh, Kadar, who was basically yeah. the, the Soviet leader, the puppet leader was, was finally ousted from power, uh, in, in 1990. Um, the freedom that the, the men had fought for in the pool finally came, um, some would never live to see it, um, mm-hmm. In, in the meantime, uh, the Hungarian water polo team uh, competed in 23 Olympic Games, won 16 medals. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That's impressive. Nine gold, three silver, four bronze, and they won back-to-back-to-back golds in 2004 and 08. Yeah. Uh, they won the bronze just a few months ago at the Tokyo Games as well. Uh, they won a total of uh, 88 medals in international competition since 1912. Uh, and they continue to look to be a, a force in the yeah. sport in the future. I mean, I think water polo is the one sport that defines uh, international competition for uh, Hungary. Absolutely. They have some good uh, swimmers and divers as well. Right. But it's really water polo where, where they That's really where they excel, get yeah. into it. Yep. Uh, I'm glad they weren't at the 1904 Olympics. Remember what happened to the water polo team in the 1904 yeah, Olympics? That they, was, that was, that was yeah. bad news. That's a whole other thing. Listen to the other podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, quick postscript on Irvin Sador. He ends up defecting to the United States after the Olympics, uh, and he never plays competitive water polo again. That's rough. That really, that's a a sneaky bad part of the story. I know. He ends up getting married. He settles in Central California uh, where he ends up coaching youth swimming for many, 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 many years. He ends up passing away in 2012. But before he passes away in um, about 2002, there's a group uh, um, that brings together all of the surviving members from uh, that Hungarian team brings them back to Hungary. Many of them had uh, were in uh, different parts of the world, including Zador. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also are able to uh, bring four of the Soviet players in 
oh. as well. And they have a reunion. If you really want to see more about this, there's a documentary called Freedom's Fury. You can see it on Amazon Prime uh, that kind of talks about this reunion. That's kind of the end of, of, of it. And it kind of shows them really kind of reconciling with one another, um, talking about the um, what they had gone through, the importance of what they had gone through. And between even the, the Russians and uh, the Hungarians, they found some real camaraderie in sport. Um, and it's really kind of fascinating in the movie – you have all these men who are much, much older, but there are a lot of them are in the pool playing water polo and they are still pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, so if you want to see that movie, we're not getting paid for anything like that as well. Uh, that movie ends up being uh, narrated by uh, Mark Spitz. Name ring a oh, bell okay. to you? Yes, it does. Mark Spitz, uh, he ends up uh, winning four medals in the 1968 uh, Olympic Games in Mexico City, two gold, a silver, and a bronze. And then in the 72 Munich Olympics, he wins seven gold medals, which was yeah. a record until Michael Phelps yep. um, broke it. And a- another interesting postscript, Mark Spitz was coached by Irvin Zador. That's really cool how that just comes full circle. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible yep you know and that doesn't happen without all those other political contexts correct because he would have stayed in hungary correct yeah correct now does that mean mark spitz wouldn't have been a swimmer probably he still would have been a swimmer right. you know but would he have a would he have been as great of a swimmer and b would he have been the distraction that we needed during the 72 olympics exactly of all the you know the uh uh israeli team yeah so if you don't know much about that 72 Olympics, that's, a, again, a topic for another podcast, but it's just some fascinating things. But it, Mark Spitz is kind of that feel-good story of that 72 Olympics. Yeah, for, and, for it was, sure. and it's underestimated just how much that feel-good story was needed. Yeah. Now, I, I'm going to be completely honest here to our listeners, and, and Rich and I talked about this before we hit record. I did not know anything about this story three months ago. Same here. None. Yeah, this this and I don't even remember how it came across. I, I, all of a sudden I, I'm texting Rich this uh, uh, this information about that. And Rich is like, I've never heard about this before. And I go, we need to do a deep dive on this. Yeah, we need to really kind of take a look at this. This is a fascinating, fascinating story. Rich, thank you for going along with the ride uh, with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, about time to wrap up. But you got yeah some final thoughts. It was just enlightening, just because you know, like you said, this is something that you don't think about, and I think it's because it takes place, you know, like obviously, you know, seventy years ago at this point, but also it doesn't involve uh, the U.S. or North America. And believe me, the tensions are real. Uh, this actually brought up a memory that I had of like you know, like in the late nineties, uh, I had met somebody, uh, this young lady whose mother was a Hungarian. Uh, expel uh, immigrant. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking to her, and somebody had brought up uh, the Soviet Union and just the vitriol that spewed out of her mouth at the mention of the Soviet Union. You know, really just brought this home. Right. I mean, th- th- this is real people dealing with real life and real emotions. Uh, a lot of it ended up bleeding into the athletic world, which yeah. we, we see that happening, you know, quite a bit. Um, and um, it's just a fascinating story. I, I was really um, kind of, I don't want to say honored, but humbled to read through and to, to, to research this story uh, and to kind of see everything that, that had happened. And, and I, I kind of want to watch more water polo, especially when Hungary's playing um, uh, when I can. Yeah. Uh, any, anything else, Rich, before we close up? That's pretty much it for me. All right. Uh, want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen. If you have a topic idea for us, or if you want to chat, agree with us, disagree with us, you want to fill in some of the, uh, the notes, historical notes that we might've missed, please send us an email. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, we'd ask you to subscribe, rate, and comment on your podcast platform of choice. This helps us out a lot. You can look us up on good pods, Apple pods, uh, Apple podcasts, um, pocket cast, overcast, you name it. We are there. Um, if, uh, if you want to uh, find out a little bit more about the show, you can uh, go to our Twitter page, 
uh, Athletic Obscura, sorry, at Athletic Obscura. We do lots of stuff. In fact, I post weird, strange, and unknown tidbits just about every day. Oh, Rich, can I tell you something really fun? Yeah. Uh, back in December, uh, I did a, a quick little fun story about Mookie Blaylock on, on Twitter that, you know, when he was in Oklahoma, he set the um, uh, the record for 13 steals in a game. Just yeah. kind of a throwaway, just kind of a fun little thing. It ends up getting like 32,000 impressions on Twitter. That's, I, I don't know how that happened. I mean, it's Mookie yeah. Blaylock. I mean, great player. Yeah. It was, it was I'm crazy. I'm it was a bunch of Pearl Jam fans. <laughs> right? And if you don't know the story, we should probably do a podcast <laughs> on that, like sports and music. Exactly. Wow. We're working yes. on one. Sports yeah. and music coming up. All right. Let's start some music here. So, um, uh, but we do tons of stuff on Twitter as well. Hey, you can support this podcast in a couple of different ways. If you are listening to us on Anchor, uh, which is the sponsor of our show, there's a way in which you can uh, give us a tip right there through uh, the Anchor website. Um, also, you can leave us a voicemail through Anchor if you wanted to do a voicemail to us. That's pretty fun. Uh, you can also uh, go uh, to support us by going to buymeacoffee.com slash athleticobscura, and you can buy us a coffee. Or we could use the money for uh, pizza or beer or craft cocktails or yeah, something like that. Something like that. It'll, uh, it'll be a force for good. Absolutely. I'll put a link for that in uh, the show notes as well. If you are interested in sponsoring the show in a more substantial way, feel free to contact us via email. That's athleticobscura at gmail.com. We'll get the ball rolling for that. Don't forget to check out anchor.fm for all your podcast needs. And we promise that we will not wait for two months before our next episode. In fact, we have a couple uh, things in the hopper, including an, another Olympic-themed episode. Uh, Want to tell us a little bit about that, Rich? Indeed we do. We, so we all just enjoyed the information about the blood in the water match. Uh, but that wasn't the only time the Soviets uh, got involved in an Olympic match that felt symbolic of a much bigger issue. I'm referring, of course, to the Miracle on Ice in 1980. It's a story a lot of people know about, but there's so much more to that game. There's so much context before and after the match that really needs to really take a deep dive. It really deserves a deep dive. Yeah, it's more than just, do you believe in miracles call from Al Michaels? No, it's... Which, which is great. And the movie Miracle on Ice is great as well, but there's a couple things that are strange, weird, and unknown that you probably don't know too much yeah, about. Yeah, like the U.S. winning that without the best amateur player, um, best amateur American player at the time. Right, right. Yeah. We don't want to tell you anymore. <laughs> Until next time, we invite you into another discussion of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. Adios, everybody. See ya. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's just No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.